Well, good afternoon. Why don't you guys think to yourself for a second, what, what would you answer if I asked you what was your favorite song? I wish I had time to get an answer from all of you that would teach me so much about you, but probably the answer to your favorite song would be different than the answer to the question, like, what songs change your mood? What are the songs that when you hear them, you just stop what you're doing and find your mood changing a little bit for the better? For some reason, the bands Boston and Journey have a bunch of songs that I always sing along with. Even though those songs were written before I was born, if they come on the radio, not only do I listen to the end of those songs, I'm thinking about like more than a feeling or don't stop believing. Not only will I listen to those songs until the end, I'll be singing them in the shower three days later, right? They just stick in your head and make you a little bit happier. And there's no predicting where these peppy, mood-changing songs come from. I like to think of myself as kind of a rock and roll guy. But back in November of 2013, Disney released this movie called Frozen. <laughs> and so the song Let It Go has just been on a loop in my head ever since. And uh, every time it kind of comes on there, I smile a little bit because it's just kind of a song that makes you kind of happy. And you can judge me if you want, but you could take all the parents of kids between the ages of 7 and 17, and they've been hearing that song since 2013 as well. So again, are you guys starting to think of songs that stir you to think or feel or act just a little bit differently? A couple more examples. The music of the Beach Boys, it reminds me of happy memories of my dad. That's his favorite band. It's the only music, it's the only songs I can ever remember him singing out loud. So when I think of those songs, they make me happy. How about this? The music of the band Rage Against the Machine makes me want to lift weights and exercise. Okay? Like different kinds of music impacts us in different ways. Just the first few notes of the theme from Sesame Street makes me remember what it feels like to be three years old, right? Do you remember just the first couple notes of the theme song of Sesame Street? Takes me back to my childhood, makes me crave a juice box. <laughs> Every wedding DJ has half a dozen songs that he or she knows that they can go to to get people out of their chairs and up on the dance floor. And so the main idea that I'm trying to kind of center us on here is that just like many secular songs have the power to move us towards new thought and different emotions and different actions, God intends worship music to impact us in the same way. God intends that there's special worship songs that have the power to stir us to new thoughts, new emotions, and new actions and responses to God. So Psalm 27, specifically, shows us how worship music can increase our confidence in God. So if you haven't already, please open up your Bibles to Psalm 27 as we want to take a look at how this particular psalm reminds us of the power of worship to impact us positively in four ways. The author of Psalm 27 shows us that worshiping can increase our confidence in God's power even despite trouble or enemies. The author of Psalm 27 shows us that worship can increase our confidence in God's protection over us. The author of Psalm 27 shows us that worship can increase our confidence that God hears us 
and that God responds to us. And it closes by showing us that worshiping can increase our confidence in God's future goodness in our lives. I think those are four positive and beneficial things. Now, worship, of course, is not all about us. A friend told me this week that uh, someone from a previous church once went up to the pastor and said, bad news, pastor, I didn't like the worship today. And the pastor said, well, it's a good thing it's not about you. <laughs> right? Worship isn't about us, but there's many places in Scripture that do tell us of the benefits of Scripture. And so what we're doing today is we're looking a little bit more closely at one place, being Psalm 27, that shows us four benefits that worship has in our life. Let's break the sermon into two quick parts. The first one, let's briefly talk about the beauty and the uniqueness and the importance of the book of Psalms. And then in section two, let's talk about the four ways that the author of Psalm 27 is affirming us that worship will benefit us. So let's start off very briefly by talking about introduction to the Psalms. And I think even people who have been going to church their whole lives often look at the Psalms a little bit differently than maybe they were intended for us to study and use them. Let's start off by re referencing Luke 24:44, where Jesus uh, is walking with uh, dis uh, some, some uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. They don't know who he is. It's after uh, the resurrection. And he explains to them that the entire Old Testament is made up of three pillars, three parts. And he explains those as the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And uh, more specifically, Jesus says that all three of those pillars point to him. And we don't normally think of the Psalms as teaching us about Jesus, but that's how Jesus explains the Psalms, and we would be wise to think of them in the same way. Growing up, I kind of thought of the Psalms as just like the extra poems that didn't quite make it into the other parts of the Bible, so they just stuck them there in the book of Psalms. Clearly, Jesus is telling us that they're intended for something much more than miscellaneous poems. And this is really, I think paradigm changing as well. The Hebrew word for psalms is mizmor, and it means to sing with jubilation. In other words, the Hebrew people that wrote these and sang these used a word for a song like we talked about in the introduction. Not like a funeral dirge, but that song on the radio that you're singing three days later, a song with emotion and jubilation, and that's the word that the Hebrews used for psalm. And they, they had different words for chanting or reciting or slowly murmuring something in church like we sometimes think of the Psalms. Uh, but uh, just that linguistic insight reminds us that the Psalms are, are songs that were meant to stir the original hearers with emotion and fervor. And uh, we might ask ourselves, well, why does that always happen? How come sometimes we read the Psalms and it doesn't really impact us? And I think the reason for that is because the things that were considered beautiful and compelling about Hebrew poetry are just not the same things that we always find riveting in English poetry. Like, different cultures value different things in their poetry. For example, probably the three hallmarks or the three characteristics of Hebrew poetry, and I'll go quick with this because I know not all of you uh, were English majors like I were. You're not all super interested in literature. But I think this helps us understand uh, what was so beautiful about the Psalms. There's three components of Hebrew poetry. It's compactness. In other words, if you could write something that was short and succinct and deep, that would be considered good Hebrew poetry. And we're often a lot more flowery 
in English poetry. We add a lot to it, and that's a little bit different than how they wrote. Uh, they use parallelism, which I probably said wrong. Think of those parallel bars, those two perfectly even bars that the gymnasts work out on. To be parallel means something looks almost exactly the same. And so when you're reading through an tra English translation of the Psalms, it'll often feel like you're reading the same statement twice. You guys ever experienced that when you're reading through the Psalms? Like, oh, I just read that, and then it said the exact same thing twice. Uh, in the original, they would try to make a second statement that was very similar to the first, but just progressing a little bit beyond, and then that kind of accelerated or moved the reader or the hearer towards the idea that they were trying to develop. And then the third is there's this kind of this similarly this semantic momentum. In other words, you read through the Psalms and even though they're compact and even though they seem like they're making similar statements, it's advancing in just a subtle enough way where it just gives you something to think about God in a new way. Let me give you guys an example or two of how the original Hebrews would have heard the Psalms differently than we're used to hearing them. And so I'll use one that I know you're all familiar with. Probably the most famous and well-loved Psalm is Psalm 23. So I walk through the shadow of the valley of death. We've all heard that psalm. It starts off by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. And that's rhythmic, and that's familiar, and that's comforting. The Lord is my shepherd. But we're talking about the compactness of the original psalms. Did you guys know that in Hebrew, that line, The Lord is my shepherd, it's only two words. And how about this? The famous line, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In the original Hebrew, that's only 11 syllables. It's much shorter. It's much more succinct than the way that we're used to hearing it. I just bring that up because the original audience would have heard and sung these differently than we do. And I just want to encourage you guys that there is a poetic brilliance and a spiritual depth in these psalms that are sometimes lost on us today. But I believe God will excite us with that depth if we study them as they're meant to be studied. So let's move on here and uh, quickly work through the four things that the author is teaching us here in Psalm 27. And they're beautiful things, and quite frankly, they're things that we need in our modern, anxiety-filled, busy lives. The first thing that uh, the author is teaching us here in verses 1 to 3 is that when we worship... Uh, we build confidence in the Lord despite trouble and despite enemies. Listen to what it says here in Psalm 1 to th uh, 27, 1 to 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besieges me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then I will be confident. And so I had a little bit of time to study through and outline Psalm 27 this week. And if you guys had a chance to do that, you would discover this. In verses 2, 3, 5, 6, and 10, it's full of positive expressions of how God is trustworthy and God is powerful. But also, in verses 9 and 13, the author expresses fearful urgency. And I think this is interesting because Psalm 27 is reminding us that we can think positively and trustworthy about God even as we also are filled with fearful urgency and anxiety. 
And if you guys are anything like me on a Sunday when you're looking at your schedule and thinking about if you're going to go to church or not, Sometimes if you have a lot of errands to run, sometimes if you have a lot that needs to get done, sometimes if there's circumstances in your life that you don't quite have put together, you think that those things should keep you from going to church and worshiping. But what's so beautiful about Psalm 27 is it's showing us that you can have fear and anxiety and unsolved situations. And if you commit to go and worship... God will grant you an increased confidence in the Lord. An absence of peace should not keep us from worshiping. Worshiping will bring us that peace that we long for. All right? Um, There's a great example of that parallelism. Uh, It it says in verse 3, Though a camp is marshaled against me, my heart shall not fear. Though battle is roused against me, nonetheless do I trust So it seems like there's two statements that are almost the same thing, but they're progressing. Uh, Because first it says there's a camp that's uh, like of of, of enemies that's outside our town. It's about to come and get me, but my heart will not fear. And then the next parallel line says, though battle is roused against me, like in other words, that marshaled camp is now advancing towards me, nevertheless I trust in God. So... We see here in verses 1 to 3 that we can be confident in the Lord. Worship builds that confidence. Christians have been practicing this idea that worship builds confidence for hundreds of years. One of my favorite hymns is The Solid Rock. Have you guys ever heard that hymn, The Solid Rock? It goes like this, When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may then in him, I may then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. In other words, it's just a reminder that we can be confident before God despite trouble, despite enemies, because of Christ's victory and because of Christ's work. And like I said, even when we don't have things together and even when we don't feel like going to church because there's situations that we feel like we might have to worry about or get busy with, uh, there's this idea that worship reminds us of Christ's ultimate victory And that increases our spiritual confidence in God. So whether it's Psalm 27, 1 to 3, or whether it's classic hymns like the Solid Rock, worship increases our confidence in the Lord, even in the midst of unresolved business or enemies. How about the second thing that we're learning here in Psalm 27? We can find confidence in the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we will experience that confidence that we need to acquire by coming to church and worshiping and being in the presence of the Lord. Listen to what the uh, writer says here in verses 4 to 6. He says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Uh, For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. He'll set me high on the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me of his sacred tent, and I'll sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. There's kind of this play on the word sanctuary. Uh, For hundreds of years, Christians have called this room that we worship in a sanctuary, right? Which means protection. It also is kind of this word that comes to mean 
where we meet the presence of the Lord. And what Psalm 27, 4 to 6 is saying here in the second section is that when we come into the presence of the Lord, we feel a greater confidence in His protection in our life. You guys remember that great line from the hymn, Be Thou My Vision? It says, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, Thy presence my light. And uh, that's not really vocabulary that we still use in contemporary talking. But uh, it brings me comfort to know that my grandparents and my great-grandparents went to church and sang that hymn and had an increased confidence that being in God's presence would help them feel more protected and more secure. So whether it's uh, this section from Psalm 27, 4 to 6, or classic hymns like Be Thou My Vision, we're learning that worship increases our confidence that God protects us and strengthens us with his presence. Sometimes when things are the most chaotic in your life, I encourage you to take out your phone and go on YouTube or take out an old hymn book if you're old school and just celebrate the fact that you can be in the presence of God because what we're learning here is celebrating that presence will help bring you confidence uh, that, uh, that God is with you and God protects you. Trying to move this through this close uh, quickly so we can conclude our service by putting some of these thoughts into practice and worshiping together. We see here in verses 7 to 12 that the writer of this psalm is experiencing a greater confidence in prayer as he worships. Or maybe another way to say that is that he is experiencing uh, confidence when he worships that God sees him and that God knows him. Do you guys ever find yourself in crisis, feeling like you are unseen and unheard by God? How beautiful that when we worship, we will be reminded and we will have a greater confidence that prayer uh, brings us this feeling, this reminder that we're seen and heard by God. In Psalm 27.9, the author writes to God, Do not hide your face from me. And that's just a beautiful way of reminding ourselves that prayer helps us be reminded that we're seen and we're known by God. When you call out, when you pray, you're seeing God's face. He's seeing your face. You're seen and you're known by God. Listen to this image here in verse 10. The writer says, Though my father and mother forsook me, the Lord gathers me in. Man, that's kind of like a shot against mom and dad, right? Maybe some of us haven't felt that way since we were teenagers. Saying, though my father and mother forsook me, the Lord still gathers me in. And I think what the author is saying is that even in those moments and even in those circumstances when we feel like the most faithful and dependable source of love and care that we have ever known, be it a child, be it a parent, be it a spouse, fails us, the author here is telling us that even in those times, God is still present and faithful with us. And of course, the main idea here is that worship helps us be grounded in that message. It's worship that gives us confidence that we're seen and we're heard by God. You guys might have heard that song before, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. 
The lyrics go, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And, you know, maybe the hymns stir you and maybe you don't care for the hymns, but I, I want to use hymns as examples today for that reminder that for hundreds of years, Christians have been gathering and growing in their confidence that they're seen and heard by God. And that increase in confidence comes through worship. The fourth and final part that we see here, uh, the component of Psalm 27, comes in verses 13 and 14. This is kind of what I want us to uh, focus in on as our, our, our final thought. I hope you carry it with you through the week. And it's this. Worship increases our confidence in the future goodness of the Lord. Worship increases our confidence in the future goodness of the Lord. 2020 is a terrible year. There's goodness in 2020, and God is faithful in 2020. But for most of us, this has been the hardest year that we've had in decades. There's unresolved relationships. There's worries about finances. There's struggles in business. There's relational tension. Uh, there's an imbalance in our lives because of virus and maybe a lack of kids going to school. And we could go on and on. Worship brings us a confidence in the future goodness of the Lord, even when the current goodness of the Lord is not always present. Okay? So listen to how this uh, beautiful psalm concludes in verses 13 and 14. It says this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'll wait for the Lord, and I'll be strong and take heart as I wait for the Lord. So again, there's so many benefits of worship. Many times it, uh, it accomplishes those first three things that we've talked about. Sometimes we're going through a dark and dry and lonely season. And it will be days or weeks or months before we will become fully aware of God's goodness in our life. But even in dry times like that, worship increases our confidence in the future goodness of the Lord. In other words, if you guys are going through a month or a stretch of tragedy and crisis or spiritual dryness, that's not a reason to stop going to church. Because worship will increase your confidence in the future goodness of the Lord, and the low seasons are when we need an increase in that confidence the most. Probably my favorite hymn is Great is Thy Faithfulness. And one of the lines goes like this, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. We can worship and have an increase in confidence in the future goodness of the Lord, even in the times where the presence and the goodness of the Lord isn't something that we see and feel. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and uh, lead us in kind of an extended time of worship here as we wrap up with a final song or two. And uh, as they come up here, I just want to close with this summary. Psalm 27 is all about the benefits of worship. There's countless other psalms that are dedicated to the worthiness of God to receive our worship. Like God is worthy to receive our worship when it does things for us or not. Because of the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death and decay, God is worthy of our worship. 
But Psalm 27 beautifully shines some light on the benefits of worship for us. And it's that worship increases our confidence in God's power. Worship increases our confidence in God's protection over us. Worship increases our confidence that God sees us and hears us. And worship increases our confidence in God's future goodness. Let's put this to the test and let's see if these things are true as we close worshiping together.